Welcome to the Grizzly Times podcast with Louisa Wilcox, a place devoted to all things grizzly, where we interview scientists, managers, Native Americans, and others about their perspectives and experience with bears and their ecosystems. This comes at a critical time in a complex debate about grizzly bears, with the recent restoration of endangered species safeguards for the Yellowstone bear, but a new proposal to strip protections for glaciers grizzlies, and when warming temperatures and development are transforming the bear's world. We hope that you find the information and views offered here useful as you shape your own conclusions. This is Louisa Wilcox with Grizzly Times, and the last of four episodes of my interview with Estella Leopold, the last remaining offspring of the legendary conservationist writer and philosopher Aldo Leopold. Our conversation here ranges from grizzly bears to climate change, and the legacy of her father and the Leopold family, including younger relatives who are emerging leaders in the environment and scientific research. Estelle and I talked about the grizzly bear, of course, and the litigation broiling at the time over the government's removal of endangered species protections. Here's a bit of our conversation. Even with the grizzly bear work uh, that I do, there are uh, we're in court to try to prevent grizzly bear hunting around Yellowstone, outside Yellowstone Park, and the trial. Oh, that's such a you know, horrible uh, development. I, I can't imagine it. Starker would turn over in his grave. I'm sure he would. I mean, his whole. And dead. Estella does not mince words about climate change, climate change denial, species extinctions, and threats such as the Dakota Access Pipeline. She also reflects here on what her father might think about such things today. Well, it's astonishing that, that uh, people are so uh, easily swayed by the deniers of climate change, and because, of course, that's just false. Mm-hmm. We all, we can see, it's perfectly obvious mm-hmm. what's happening in the all droughts right. in Africa. Right. Um, what's happening in fire sequences here in the the west in California, unusual hurricanes, and why should people be reluctant to listen to the climatologists who say, hey, as the marine temperature of the water increases, the hurricane frequency will become more frequent or more devastating or both. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's science, and that's what's happening, so all we have to do is realize it. And admit it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a shame if we put our heads in the sand. Yeah. So your all your work on paleontology and looking at deep time and climate change and you know makes you realize that well, ninety nine point nine percent of the species that once lived on Earth are extinct. Um, does that does that view how does that view of sort of long time, deep time, you know, square with like living in this world now uh, and looking at the fate of endangered species or and what's happening with climate change? Well, Louisa, I, as I view it, the rate, the scale of extinction going on now mm-hmm. and the threats of war uh, is certainly comparable to some of the worst natural disasters right. in the geologic record. Right. Like, and what we're facing with climate change is going to be much worse in yes. the future. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is, these are facts. Yeah. 
Yeah. Would your would your dad be heartbroken, or would he? Uh, I think he angry? would be dis dismayed. Yeah. Yeah. He really would. And you, one of your questions was, yeah. uh, was he optimistic? Yeah. And I want to tell you that yeah. uh, when he wrote a letter to Bob, Vo to um, Bill Vote. Bill Vote was head of the uh, Pan American Union. Okay. Or he was a very high administrator in yeah. the Pan American Union. And a, an author of one of the first books in conservation, huh. Bill, Bill Vogt. Huh. He wrote him a letter and his huh. dad said, you know, these, these are really hard times with so many discouraging developments. And he said, uh, that he said, all, he said, all we can do, Bill, is uh, do the best we can. Right. And that's, I think, quoted in Kurt Miney's book, but yeah. I, I think it's a very important uh -huh. view that he kept trying to be optimistic, even though it looked very gray and black in the future. Right. Well, what, how did that shape your view? I mean, you've seen a lot of change in your life. You know, so many oh. years after he died. I mean, very sad. Huh. Yeah, we hate to, we hate to see the population increase and the development is so exorbitant. And above all, I think the administrators overlooking some of the major problems that, that relate to proposed developments, such as the Keystone Pipeline. Right. And you know, and the government disdaining the views of the native peoples, and the mm -hmm. native peoples, they are much more understanding of the, the system mm -hmm. than the administrators. And absolutely. in that case, they're they're absolutely right. Trying to uh, make a path underneath a river, yes, is is a very uh, is is to ask for all kinds of trouble in the future. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it doesn't sound like a delicately balanced, difficult uh, construction. Estella had many students who she helped launch on illustrious careers. She introduces a few of them here. Oh, well, I was very, very impressed with these young people. That, um, Peter Dunwoody became quite the botanist and is in the state of Washington very uh, much involved in the helping save a number of rare and endangered plant species mm -hmm. of the prairies. And mm -hmm. He was—he's been one of the people that helped with the early burns in the state. Oh, the prescribed burns. Right. Worked right, with right. Jim Agee, the oh, the fire of man. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, in fact, did this Yellow Island burn together. Oh, every couple of years, uh -huh. and that is, was a model in, in the state. Just let the, let the whole island burn. <laughs> it became a perfectly beautiful stand of duck firs. Oh, yeah. A little bit of prairie and the lovely spring flowers. Uh-huh. Oh, that must have been delightful. So Peter is, is still a, a special um, resource. And then Kathy Whitlock, who, mm -hmm. who I, I, I know you know, has become such a wonder, and her love of the out-of-doors has kept her on the edge of, of these ecological issues, and she's a good botanist. Yes. She's a good, she has good broad training in geology. Right. She understands climate. Yes. And climate systems. Mm-hmm. And you can't, can't get a better rounded 
citizen than Kathy. Yeah. And I think her leadership, including the work she's, botanical work she's done in Wyoming, mm -hmm. bringing a, a realization of what the forest history can tell us about the uh, use, the importance of fire as a, as a yeah, factor in the environment. It's, it's just been astounding. It's been very important. The Leopold kids went on to have their own shacks. Here, Estella shares about some of them. It's, it looked like all of you kids, or most of you, had your own little experiment with buying a piece of land and doing what you could to restore what, was, what had been there. And you have had or had a piece of property near Golden. And how, how did that, did you, how did you arrive at that? And what was that experience? Well, I, I, I think I've written about how we, as we left, we wanted to have each have our own shacks mm -hmm. in the areas where we were. I mm -hmm. was in Denver. Mm -hmm. Finally managed to find this property up um, on uh, Ralston Creek near Black Hawk Mountain. And uh, decided that, uh, it would be a wonderful, just a getaway place to be outdoors yeah. and to work yeah. with the, a primitive cabin which had been built in the homesteading period uh -huh. way back yeah. and uh, much fun. But most of their shacks, like uh, Carl's cabin in Costa Rica, mm -hmm. they did a tremendous amount of restoration work, right. bringing back the uh, tropical forest. Gosh. What in, a, in a just incredible story, mm -hmm. and it's so beautiful now. Mm -hmm. But the uh, Luna's land, I would say, was mainly to keep the cows off of the land. Right. Although he did have a horse or two, mm -hmm. so there was grazing. Mm -hmm. In my case, it was definitely fencing, keeping out the cows, and keep the government away from poisoning the coyotes. Right. Because when I bought that land, there were signs up saying, Peligro, you know, mm -hmm. the poisoning, and they had apparently thrown strychnine pellets out of the airplane uh, originally. And uh, I just put a, I went to the government groups and said, no, this land is verboten, we're going to protect it. Right. So just keeping the cows off was, was a good restorative practice. And, Right. I did not do any planting at all. Really? It was Carl that really did a restoration job yeah. in Costa Rica. Yeah. Estella clearly has her father's storytelling gene. Here's an excerpt from a 1999 paper. The romance of a lost biome dominated by Ice Age mastodons and a warmer climate when prairie Indian cultures were in their heyday can be inferred from fossil evidence and can be read in the lines of the pollen story. Here, Estella shares her approach to story, which underscores the comprehensiveness of her thinking, like her father's. So, have, did you, have you thought consciously about your role in, in storytelling, or do you, is it just something that you do and comes naturally? And well, in, in teaching, it was it was a, a very useful way of getting over some very complicated right. data, just put it in the form of a story. Right. And uh, the students understood it, asked questions about it. Mm -hmm. you know, it was just fun. Right. Right. And you taught for decades. 
Yeah, right? I taught until 2001. Uh huh. Yeah. Which is quite a while. It is quite a while. And. Uh, 14 years or something. Yeah. So you're watching students probably all over and doing different things and probably maybe not going into your line of work, but. And enjoying the students too. They were they were great. Yeah. And they're advising them to take certain courses, watching them flower. It was really fun. Right. Discover things that they didn't and think they were. There had been organized at our university a research center called the Quaternary Research Center, huh. which was full of people interested in ice ages and beyond. Right. And that meant that there was a tremendous focus on the relationship to early peoples and archaeology. That's still the case. Right. We still have it, and we, we like it. It's yeah. very nice. Yeah. So it pulled in people from all kinds of different departments that worked together. Now, that doesn't mean they got NSF grants together, but what right. they did was share stories, lectures, their students got a good broad background in climatology, archaeology, geology, uh, chemistry, uh, whatever, body. Right. right, right. The shack property has been preserved by the Leopold Foundation, which was started by the family. The place has become a mecca for conservationists around the world. Estella and several relatives serve on the board and face the challenge of aging buildings and lots of visitors. But ecological discoveries are still being made, such as the role of dogs in maintaining the prairie. You go back to the shack for regular meetings, it sounds like, and reunions. And well, we have about three times a year we mm -hmm. have board meetings, and mm -hmm. then we have a big picnic at the shack, and mm -hmm. roast something or cook something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And we're trying hard to take care of the shack. Oh, unfortunately, there's now a lot of traffic people that have read the same county oh. mm -hmm. book and they want to visit this place. All right, and we have too many visitors. Oh, but, you do. Uh, uh -huh. Well, that's that's all right, I guess. Uh -huh. I don't. So I worry about the numbers of people. Which yeah, is excessive. Huh. So, is the shack itself in? You know, holding up to the weather, and do you, uh, do you have to yes, do but you know, it's pretty old. I mean, it's, yeah. it was probably built about 1900, and right. um, the um, so-called bunkhouse, which right. the boys built, as a wing on the main cabin, which is just rectangular. They built without stopping to make a proper foundation for the bunkhouse. Uh. So what they had was cornerstones that were solid, but nothing in between. So right now, I see the uh, paths of the mice make go under the boards and get under the floor, oh, getting yeah. into the under the shack floor, and there's a lot of mice inhabiting the building uh, out here. Uh -huh. But anyhow, uh, uh, the whole effort now is to rebuild the footing under the bunkhouse, and mm. it's going to cost quite a bit of money, which we have in hand, ready to go, but oh, good. we have to find the right party to do it. Yeah. And what they have to do is, is basically is a, 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 take a few boards away and, and re, reinforce those cornerstones, uh -huh. the two corners of that bunkhouse, 
need to have good solid cement footstones just in there. And then, then after that thing, start to build a foundation under the other parts of the, mm -hmm. of the bug house, mm -hmm. which I hope they're going to start doing soon. Yeah. It's getting pretty old. Yeah, that is that is old and, you know, fairly humid, wet. Mm -hmm. and the snow piles up against it in the winter. Right, exactly. So your sister Nina had a, a house near nearby, right? And it had, it had a house and, and until she passed on, she was in that house, and that's yeah. where the the director lives now. Okay, the CEO. Uh huh. And she and Charlie built this house, uh -huh. which is really a beautiful place. Hmm. Charlie is such a good designer. He, hmm. was, he was no quitting. He okay. was really good. It's a log house built from pines that we planted. Oh, how cool. As children. Yeah. And a beautiful massive fireplace that Charlie, being a good mason, had watched over while these people uh -huh. he had hired built this nice fireplace. Cool. Good big uh, um, hearth place so you can cook over that fire. And uh, hmm. they have it's a there's a basement where they used to have an offices his Nina's and Charlie each had an office uh -huh. at, at Charlie and, and uh, the CEO was working down there mm -hmm. and now it's all turned over we hated to give it up because mm -hmm. it was family yeah but uh, it's being used yeah and uh, family there is very happy uh-huh right have a, a, they have children, but no dog. And you know what? The dog idea is very important for prairies because, and deer. Nina, oh, and Charlie always had a dog. Yeah. And the dog was always running around in the. Right. So the difference between the Sheck Prairie and the prairie at Nina's house, yeah. Nina's and Charlie's house, yeah. was light and day. Flowers were all blooming like crazy at Nina's and Charlie's house. Uh huh. But at the shack area, the deer had been eating oh. off all the flowers. Uh huh. And Nina figured out that it had to do with the dog. Right. Keep the dog would off. scare the deer yeah. at, their, at her house. Yeah. And the, I don't know what's happening anymore, but uh, it, it, it's a notable change. Observation, and it's a fact. Yeah. That dog made a difference. Yeah. New leadership in the Leopold Foundation is coming up in the family, and one new board member will be Estella's grandniece, Claire. Estella tells this story about Claire, who came with her once to a meeting at the prestigious American Philosophical Society, which Estella is a member of. You get the sense that the next generation of Leopolds is continuing the proud family tradition. Well, I'm glad you've got a, a grandniece, a niece, who's yeah, coming on. That'll be great. Claire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's gonna be. She's gonna be a good plus. Yeah. yeah. One time, um, I took her to one of the um, American Philosophical meetings. Oh, right. And here's this little kid. She comes up to about here on me, and she was just in college, and we had these illuminaries speaking to this huge group of right. American Philosophical Society, and. Um, they were talking about the future of under climate change, of this and that and the other, and one of them was an industrialist, and 
little clerk stood up and challenged this guy who was a maker of cars in oh, which boy. company. <laughs> she said, you've covered a lot of ground, sir, but you haven't told us what you can do about the automobile industry that will help us with the climate change. You know, whatever it was, Whoa. she was very <laughs> clear yeah. about the questions. Yeah. And, and he stumbled around for an answer. Uh -huh. <laughs> so uh, that's clear. That's, that's great. That's she's a, a good she, sign. She's something. Mm -hmm. She's really Madeline Leopold's child, and okay. Madeline is Luna's daughter. Daughter, so very cool. articulate mm -hmm. woman, lawyer. Mm -hmm. Oh, we end with Estella's views about her prospects on this earth. I will leave her doing what she did throughout our conversation, asking about my opinion. Throughout our time together, I was continually reminded of her humility and curiosity, which are clearly family traits. You don't want to hear my answer to a question, which is kind of dumb. And anyhow, each of us has to find our own answers. So given all the changes that you've seen in your lifetime, that your dad documented, uh, the changes in humanity, the changes in population, everything, are you optimistic about our future on this earth? I wish I could be very optimistic. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm very worried. Um, well, it doesn't so unfortunate. It's just being practical that I don't I don't see enough concern at the highest levels, and certainly in this administration, terrified is the word right. of what can happen right. when we do not get uh, a proper director of the Park Service or of the Fish and Wildlife Service or of EPA. Oh gosh. And uh, scares me to death, so uh, it's hard to be optimistic, but I, I guess we just have to keep trying harder. What, how do you feel? I'm interested in what you're... At the end of the interview, Estella, ever gracious, turns my thank you around to one from her. Wow, the honor is all mine. Well, I cannot, uh, I'm here with Stella Leopold, and I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to you today, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time and offering your perspectives and your wisdom. Oh, Louisa, this is such a treat to know you and hear a little more about what you've been doing and yeah. to the perspective that you demonstrate with your questions is marvelous. Oh, well. I want to compliment you oh, on well, that. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much.